Hi again, everyone. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode number 132 of the Sports Podcast. Anthony and yours truly, Tim, with me here uh, this evening, uh, talking the world of sports. There's a lot going on in the world of sports. A lot of things have ended. A lot of things are about to begin. A uh, lot to uh, even get to. Let's start let's start off with last week's uh, football game. Obviously, the Super Bowl played. Tom Brady uh, proved that he is the greatest of all time, leading the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this time to a Super Bowl, revenging one of their worst losses of the year to Kansas mm-hmm. City early, about six weeks earlier. So uh, and an amazing, amazing turnaround. I'll tell you what. Tampa Bay played a near flawless game. They did everything they needed to do with that to win that game. And that defense was just fantastic. I can't even, you know, that was the key to the game. That defensive line uh, did everything that the Browns almost did Mm -hmm. on the first week of the playoffs uh, against Kansas or second week of the playoffs, I should say against Kansas city. Uh, If the Browns were healthier on the defensive line, we might've been talking about an upset that week. That, you know, obviously did not happen. Uh, Kansas City, uh, I'm going to say this uh, before we even go even farther, Anthony, mm-hmm. is they probably, I want. I thought Reed maybe coached his worst game in a long time. Yes. Uh, it re- almost reminded me going back to his days in Philadelphia in the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, where his stubbornness actually got them in more trouble and his lack of making adjustments uh, really came back and played havoc in them. And quite honest with you, I mean, the injury to the quarterback, yes, it's going to matter. But you know, you have other teammates to step up. You have a you have a, a a receiving core that's phenomenal. You have one of the best tight ends in football. Uh, you have a couple of young running backs who can get the job done. So I just thought Reed himself did not put his team in the best position to win that game offensively. And his stubbornness uh, really handicapped him the rest in, in that ball game. But in the same vein, give all the credit to Tampa Bay's defense for making every play necessary and really making the plays. Uh, I mean, you know, Kansas City to three field goals. I mean, enough said. Phenomenal job. Yeah, like you talked about, but that was as impressive as the Buccaneers were offensively. And Brady only threw for 209 yards. It's not like he went out and threw for 300, 350. It was methodical on offense, opportunistic, but football has always been and will always be decided up front on the offensive and defensive lines. And if you go back and look at the previous Super Bowl winners, uh, the team who wins up front is going to win the Super Bowl. Um, you can definitely tell the Chiefs were missing a couple starters up front, but Tampa Bay's pass rush was absolutely ruined. I mean, they just kept coming after Mahomes and coming after Mahomes. And you saw it this year. When Kansas City's offense struggled, it's when you forced Mahomes in the pockets. And the Browns did a good job of that in their uh, division round matchup. Mahomes could be gotten to. The Broncos got to him six times this year. The Browns got to him. You know, teams got to him and frustrated him, but nobody had – I mean, they just whipped the Chiefs up front. And then, off, like you mentioned, obviously I think the whole situation going on with Andy Reid's son and the car crash, I think that definitely played a, a big role. And it, it just seemed like nothing was – In sync. Yeah, it, it was – nothing was in rhythm. and. This offense in particular is a rhythm offense. And once they get in a rhythm, you're not going to stop them. You will not stop them because, like you mentioned, you have too many time receivers. You have one of the best tight ends in the game. You have the fastest receiver in the game. You have playmaking running backs and a quarterback that's incredible. Um, and the Buccaneers just kept them out of sync all night long and just physically abused. Yeah, uh, that's exactly true. And I will say this to the injuries to the offensive line for Kansas city really changed that offensive line. Yep. You move the right tackle to left tackle. You move the right guard, you move the left guard and changed the entire sequence of what they do. And that, that obviously 
played to Tampa Bay's ability to get pressure on Mahomes. And I will say this, even though Mahomes was, you know, hobbled by the bad toe and, you know, was banged up a little bit in that game, some of the plays he made still were just absolutely oh, he's incredible. Incredible. Exactly. It was just amazing. The one where he threw where he was parallel to the ground and actually hit, I believe, Kelsey in the hands mm -hmm. and he couldn't make the catch in the end zone was maybe the greatest non-completion you're ever going to see. I mean, that was just absolutely stunning to watch that play and uh, not get paid off on it. It was heartbreaking uh, for uh, Kansas City. But, I mean, there was, there was plays like that throughout the game. In the same vein, it was the Tampa Bay's defense, you know, really putting pressure on uh, Mahomes and making him uncomfortable for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I didn't think Andy Reid called his best game. Uh, I thought he was stubborn. I couldn't believe they didn't do one reverse the entire game. Uh, and you want to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. And I didn't think he did that. No. Uh, he had it in his main playmaker's hand every play in Mahomes, but he did not find ways to get you know, uh, eclair the ball. He did not find a ways to get Hill the ball, to get Watkins the ball, to get Kelsey the ball. Kelsey had a good game number-wise, but I would not uh, necessarily think there was anything to write home about. Uh, when you look back at this game, uh, you know, there's a reason why Tampa won. They outplayed them. You yeah, know, outplayed really out them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, they put themselves in the best position. And quite honest with you, you're, you're seeing the leadership of Tom Brady offensively and what he did. You know, when he had the ball, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. Uh, he went to the players that he knew he could count on. Uh, you know, uh, not that you can't count on a Mike Evans. You can, but Mike Evans was not really involved. They tried to take him away. You know, that mm -hmm. left, you know, Kelsey, or excuse me, that left Gronk open uh, in the end zone twice. That left you know, Brown open in the end zone, and he made the most of those opportunities. Uh, and that really was the story of the ball game is they got touchdowns and Kansas City got field goals. And as we talked about many times, six is greater than three every time. It is. Yeah, it's what what confused me is like you mentioned, is we know the offensive line was not a full strength. It was nowhere near full strength. And Tampa Bay was just coming. They were pinning their ears back and coming after him. I was surprised they kept trying to take so many downfield shots. You know, when they have success, it's not the 15, 20, 25 yard shots. It's the six to eight yard intermediate route with Kelsey and Hill and get them in space and let them go. And we saw none of that really. Well, the, the shots downfield is Kansas City's game, in my opinion. But as you mentioned, if it's if you're taking that away, it usually leaves Kelsey open. And it mm -hmm. did. To a certain degree, uh, Mahomes, you know, Kelsey dropped a few and maybe they didn't put it in the, in the best spot a couple different times. But I look at it more than anything. They didn't do anything to get them involved. Uh, you could, you know, do a screen pass the hill. You can, mm -hmm. uh, like you said, get them on a slant, you know, a five to ten yard pass. You can do a reverse with him. Uh, you could do a fake reverse with him and have the running back take the ball. You can do so many things. Uh, with that offense. And I just thought it was really conservative for a Kansas City offense, kind of stubborn and so used to saying, okay, well, we have Mahomes, so we know in the fourth quarter he'll get us back. By then, though, they were behind multiple touchdowns, and that's what made it difficult. Uh, you know, they were behind two scores, and I think that put too much pressure on them. They're used to be behind early in the first quarter in, in the playoffs, but not in the fourth quarter. And that's the difference, in, I thought, in the game is uh, Tampa Bay got ahead and never relinquished the lead and kept the pressure on Kansas City's offense to perform, and they weren't able to make those plays necessary to win a ball game. And that's why they ended up with three field goals instead of three touchdowns. And as we mentioned earlier, as everyone mentions in football, six is greater than three. You, Eric Wolford you're not going to win Super Bowls no. kicking field goals three times. You can stay in the ball game kicking three in a, in a very close game, but sooner or later, you're going to have to get a touchdown. And 
you know, that's where I give Tampa Bay's defense all the credit in the world. They made sure they never had that opportunity. Uh, late in the game, they had a chance, but the game was basically over by then, so it didn't matter. You know, uh, I'll be honest, Tim. I shut this game off very early because very quickly you can see that there's just a complete mismatch up front. Um, and the Buccaneers were just, I mean, so relentless. It reminded me almost the Buccaneers up front, maybe not as name worthy. Uh, they got really good players up front, but m- maybe not to star power, but this front seven played as well as the Broncos defense in 15 did against the Panthers and the Seahawks defense did when they were still together. Right. Those teams were nasty and Tampa Bay on Sunday night was absolutely nasty. Yeah. And uh, it'd be, it would be really interesting now to see where the chiefs go forward with them because this is the first time they've been punched in the mouth like this and embarrassed on a big, you know, this is the first it's been time. A long time. Yeah. It, you're right. It's been a long time. You know, you go back the last time they played Brady in the playoffs was the AZ Championship game, but that game went to overtime, I think, or they ended regulation. So it was a tight game. You know, this is the first time in a while where they've been just outclassed from the start. And Rob Gronkowski looked healthy. He looked fresh. And oh, he's an incredible route runner. The, That's the, the chemistry that him and Brady has. Justin, it, it's like a work of art, Tim. It, and, you know, obviously, what did Brady do? When you look at the scoring drives that, you know, the three touchdown passes that he had, he went to players that he was familiar with, players mm-hmm. that he believed in, players that he played with, even briefly in Brown in New England, but players that he believed in. Uh, not that it, I don't want to take anything away from Mike Evans, because I think Mike Evans is one of the best receivers in football. Uh, I just think what happened is you try to take away those weapons it leaves the tight end open and you have a player as dynamic as Gronk. He's tough to cover in short field situations mm-hmm. and twice inside the red zone. What did he do? He went to Gronk and Gronk made the plays during the season. He was inconsistent and it might've been rust for not playing the year prior and not being quite the same size that he was two years ago. But uh, in the end, I thought he played, you know, what you would expect of, a Gronkowski in the, in the Super Bowl, and he proved his worth again, over and over again. And same with with Brown. I thought both of them had a chance going into this game to be dynamic, and I thought they did. Mm-hmm. Brown only had like three or four catches, but he made the most of them, including the touchdown. And then you look at the uh, you know the running game. Once they were established that passing game, the running game came into the the fresh back scenario, and you know they were able to really run the clock out and do the things necessary to win a football game. It was a boring football game, quite mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, it was a technician's football game, meaning if you love coaching and technician and preparation, mm-hmm. that's the game for you because you can see a lot of that it was involved in it, uh, especially on the Tampa side. But as a fan watching the game, that was one of the most boring Super Bowls I've seen. It reminded me very much how boring the Super Bowl was when New England defeated Los Angeles Rams. A few years back, that was a boring Super Bowl. It was 13 to three. I mean, there was no action in that game whatsoever. However, you know, you're going to get Super Bowls like that. Some, you know, I think going into the game, everyone thought it would be fun and exciting and high offense. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was hoping for it. I had Kansas City winning 35 30 game. It wasn't mm-hmm. even close to that, you know. But I think a lot of people had a, a high scoring uh, offensive game go expectations going into that Super Bowl. Like, most times, most people are wrong, and uh, you know, but there's no question on that given day, and under the circumstances they played in Tampa Bay, uh, the Buccaneers were the best team. Yeah, it, it just goes to show uh, how difficult it is to pick against Tom Brady in that kind of game. It's like we talked about a month ago. It's almost impossible to bet against Alabama in a championship game when you got Tom Brady in a championship game or a Super Bowl. Yeah, you just throw your hands and say, "Good luck." Yeah. Well, what you know you, what? I compared I compared this on uh, earlier this week on uh, Facebook, one of my posts, mm-hmm. and what Tom Brady proved to me this past week is I already knew he was a great quarterback. That was never the question. Yes. But what he proved to be is the most dynamic athlete for his sport 
think he can, who can, if you put the right players around him, he can lead you to a, to a championship run. Very similar to LeBron James. LeBron James, you put him on any football, any basketball team, excuse me, and you put the talent around him to complement his talents, you're going to have a chance for, for a championship. I mean, you look at what he did in Cleveland the two times he was there. He went to five championship games with the Cleveland organization. He only won one, but look at that run. Look at what he did in, in, in Miami, four straight years to the championship, winning two of them. Mm-hmm. Look at what he's done in Los Angeles. Uh, in two years, he won one, and now well, is in the process of defending his first championship out there. And you know how good they're playing. And it's not a surprise. I mean, there's certain players that are so dynamic to a team uh, that can dominate and make a difference. And Tom Brady and LeBron James in their era are the two most dominating athletes in sports because if you can put complimentary players around them, they can make a difference. I'll, I'll say this. I think if you took Tom Brady off of Tampa Bay next year and put him in Cleveland, the Browns have mm-hmm. a great chance to win the Super Bowl. I think you're exactly right. I think if you took Tom Brady and you put him in Kansas City, they have a great shot of winning the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's that simple. You know, I think if you took LeBron James out of Los Angeles and you put him in Boston and put the right places around him, he could win. He could win a championship. Yeah. Or if you put him with the Nets, let's just take you know what the Nets did instead of them getting Harden. Let's say they put James there. Guess what? They're going to win a championship. Yes, they are. They're going to make. They're going to make a championship run. I honestly do believe some athletes are just that dynamic, and he is, and he's proven his worth on a football field. And the most important football player in football in the NFL is the quarterback, and it basically is now shown at the collegiate level and at the high yep. school level. Uh, and we can talk about all that on a different, you know, type scenario. But I've said it many times: if you're a high school no matter what size of high school you are, you have two choices at quarterback. Either A, a dynamic player who's a quarterback, or B, find your best athlete and put them at quarterback and build your team around that. And that's the way it should be done. I mean, especially in some of the smaller schools because you don't have as many uh, athletes available to you. So you put your best athlete at quarterback. Perfect example is is, is uh, Kennedy this past year, you know, with Hollaball. He was their quarterback. Was he a great quarterback? Not really, but I mean, mm-hmm. as a quarterback goes, he had skills to play the, the position and he's dynamic. And I wish him the best, you know, as he moves on to the collegiate level. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's not Mark Wade, who was a quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, at the high school level. And is going to be playing for YSU and will continue to grow as a quarterback. And yeah, he may have been the best athlete for Gerard back in the day when they made their championship run, but there was a different level of quarterback play between those two. But what do they have in common? Probably the best athlete on each team. Yep. You're right. right. You know, and you have to find that you're going to find a dynamic player who can play that position. And as you come down and, and I don't care. Why did the Browns suck for 20 years? Well, they could never settle on a quarterback. Mm -hmm. Now, that they have settled on a quarterback. First time we've had a quarterback play three years in a row for the Browns since Tim Couch. What has happened? Well, Mayfield settled in. Mm-hmm. And look at Mayfield's record as a car, as a starter in Cleveland. It's pretty decent. Uh, you know, so, you know, do I think Mayfield's the guy who can lead us to a championship? That's debatable. You can get on, you can make that debate. But if you told me if you had one chance to win a Super Bowl next year, who do you want a quarterback Cleveland Browns? I want Tom Brady. Me too. Yep. Yeah. Simple exactly as that. Right. I have nothing against Mayfield. Mayfield may win championships in the future. And I'm not saying he cannot do it. But if you're telling me if I could put one player on the Cleveland Browns and say, this is going to make me a better team and have the most, have the best opportunity to win a Super Bowl, that would be Tom Brady. I even say this team. Even at 44. <laughs> well, did you see the NBC special Monday night about him? No, what I did he not. eats and. Oh, it was it. It was really fascinating. It's he works out four to five times a week, but yeah. he doesn't lift. He stretches, and somewhere Dick Hartzell is smiling because yeah. he's all about the bands. But anyways, he eats. He starts the morning with a protein 
smoothie, and then it's salads and fruits and nuts. Yeah, I have read about this, yes. And he drinks 14 to 37 glasses of water a day. That's insanity. Uh, but it, and then um, and then he finishes off with fish and chicken for dinner. It's I mean the it's a protein type diet. You know I mean I'm no dietitian, but uh, chicken and, and fish is protein. Uh, shakes are protein usually, and then it's it's staying hydrated, like you said, and stretching out and and uh, protein. You know nuts is protein. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. no genius, but that's the way I re- recognize what he's doing. And you know what? He's probably not wrong. And it has probably the way he does his nutrition and his workouts extended his career as long as it has in the NFL. Because most players don't do that. Uh, look at Ben Roethlisberger, a super quarterback, three Super Bowls, won two of them, you know, uh, has had a, an amazing career on the downside of his career now. And what, he's seven years younger than Brady? He's 38, five Mm -hmm. years younger, six years younger? You know, look at Drew Brees. He's just about to retire at age 40, you know? And he's, what, two, three years younger than Brady. So it does matter how you take care of yourself. And it does matter, you know, uh, putting yourself in the best position. And I'm not surprised. I mean, he has been talking about this for the last 10 years. And if you ever fall him on social media and he promotes this stuff. Uh, obviously it's his own brand and stuff like that. So the reason behind it, but you know, TV is a brand, you know, Tom Brady's a brand and uh, his success speaks for itself. Yeah. He's, uh, there's nothing else to say besides he's just incredible. It's you're right. He speaks for itself. Um, and somehow his worst playoff record is against the Denver Broncos. So I'm going to take that. And I'm going to run with that. It's yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah. It's uh, it uh, is true. It, yeah, he's only gotten us once in the playoffs. So uh, I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it. Yeah, him and Marty Schottenheimer, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's God right. God bless Marty. There's a <laughs> gleam somewhere, and uh, what a what a coach, what a career he has had. And obviously, a sad day in the NFL when he passed this past week from Alzheimer and. Uh, what can you say? A, uh, a class act, a guy who did it his way, uh, unfortunately came up short of the ultimate goal throughout his career, but won over 200 games in the NFL and mm-hmm. quite honestly belongs in the Hall of Fame on that statue alone. Uh, never had a, I think he had one losing season in his entire career as a head coach, his last season with Kansas City, and that was it. Uh, amazing, amazing career. Uh, just a, a, a winner who is always just seems to be the wrong side of a bad bounce yeah. and uh, you know, a, a freak play, a, uh, a scenario where uh, you're in the best shape possible to win a ball game and, you know, bad things happen. And, but uh, needless to say, uh, I don't think anybody will disagree. He's, he's a hall of famer and hopefully one day uh, we'll be enshrined. Uh, he definitely deserves it. In a league where it's designed for coaches to go eight and eight and to be a 500 coach, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, competing against him as a Broncos fan against Kansas City and against San Diego, uh, a lot of times those games meant something for the AFC West. It's, you know, um, a brilliant offensive mind, a hell of an offensive genius. Um, and like you mentioned, I mean, I mean, agonizingly with the Browns and the Chargers, especially so close to getting to the Super Bowl um, and selfishly, thankfully, he didn't get there. But uh, you could go back to him and you can make a 30 for 30 on just Marty Schottenheimer and the Broncos alone. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, And it would be must-see TV for each fan base. You know, there was a great article uh, that was in The Athletic this past week. And it was funny because, uh, you know, one of his key key uh, thing was this. This is foreshadowing, you know, what, to ha- what will come in the future. And mm-hmm. he had an amazing career. It's unfortunately never had an opportunity to play for a championship game. 
that is the breaks of sports. Not everyone gets that opportunity. There's some great baseball players that barely played in a World Series or never made it to a World Series. There's great NFL players who never made it to a Super Bowl. You know, there's great NBA players. And nowadays they change teams to get to one. But, uh, it's you know, every sport's a little different. And, you know, in coaching, in the coaching tree, you don't get four opportunities in the NFL nowadays. No. Uh, the reason he got four opportunities is he never – he was never not successful at each one of his stops. Even the one in Washington where he only spent one year there, uh, they were eight and eight. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, he just never had the opportunity to to finish what he started there. And then he went to, you know, San Diego and had an amazing run in San Diego. But you look at his runs in Cleveland, Kansas City, and San Diego, and they just stand out of what he, yep. what he achieved in his career. It's a sad loss for uh, all football fans. There's no question about it. His favorite statement was, you know, there's a gleam. You know, go get that gleam. Um, I was reading the article. Someone asked him, do you ever find that gleam? He says, no, that's something you always reach for. Something mm-hmm. you never achieve. So uh, something to remember. Uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but it, 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 was, a, uh, it was a really uh, nice tribute to him. And, uh, you know, I got fond memories of him being with the Browns. I was, I remember... I was utterly shocked the next day I woke up in, in the newspaper after the loss to Houston in the playoff game that mm-hmm. uh, he was resigning, you know, and, and within a week or two, he was in Kansas City rebuilding that one. And, you know, some coaches just, you know, you don't get always, some players don't always get the opportunity. So Barry Sanders, a phenomenal, maybe the greatest running back of all time, never played in a Super Bowl. No, and how many playoff games did he play in? Yeah. One, uh, two, uh, a handful. I wish three or yeah. four total, but I'm not. I'm. I, I don't want to. Just in generally speaking terms, yeah. you just don't know. Uh, you know, the team was never built around him to the level of success that net was necessary. Uh, but yeah, he was a dominating player. He was a dynamic player. There'll be never another Barry Sanders in this oh. world. So, there's been very few that are that dynamic. Gail Sayers, you've seen the, the footage of what he achieved. Mm-hmm. Probably the closest you can get to Barry Sanders. You know, Walter Payton was totally different from him, even though Payton could make su- similar type moves and uh, big gainers and and uh, catch a defense off uh, off guard. But you know, Barry Sanders was just a dynamic player and, uh, you know, who probably could have played longer in his career but chose not to. And yeah, he chose to preserve his body. Yeah. Yeah, he chose to, to retire when he did. And you know, he is, you know, his career stands for itself. And uh I hope uh it'll be hopefully a very celebratory day someday in Canton when uh, when Coach uh Marty Schottenheimer gets in. Uh, I know it'll be uh after his life, but in the same vein, it, it needs to happen. Uh, and I hope going forward that people remember. They're not championships are a team victory. Yes. Uh, one player can make a difference. There's no question. We were just talking about that, mm-hmm. but it all starts, you know, with the organization and putting the coaching staff together and the scouting and the players, and then uh, coming in as a unit and getting things done and having that ultimate goal, you know, Kansas city, they're champions. You know, that will never be taken away from them because of what they achieved the previous year. And this is like Tampa Bay. They're champions. They'll never take it away from them. You don't always succeed in championship games, but you should be celebrated for being there because that's one thing we don't do in our sports here is recognize uh, the runner-up as mm-hmm. a, a quality team. Uh, the Buffalo Bills of the 90s, uh, everyone Love makes that fun story. of them. Yeah, but – no championship. So everyone talks about that. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings of the 70s, same thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were great teams. And just on championship Sundays, they just weren't able to do it. Uh, well, that was that was John Elway for the longest time in the 80s. Right, right. You know, he, they could all he could three get Super Bowls, three losses. But he could never, he could never get over the hump. And, uh, you know, finally... Against Green Bay, he got out of the hump, and against Atlanta to finish out his career. Um, you know, you were talking a little bit ago that 
Kansas City is champions and Tampa Bay is champions. They will always be champions. Yes. That's something you cannot take away from them. And it reminds me of a quote I heard after the Broncos won their third Super Bowl a couple years ago. Might have been in the parade afterward. And to paraphrase, it was, we were simply the best. Nobody can ever take that away from them. No matter what, you will always be a champion. I think it might have been um, DeMarcus Ware talking to somebody or one of the players or one of the coaches. Um, and I'm just paraphrasing, like, you will always be a world champion. No matter where you go, no matter what struggles or what successes you have in the future, you will always be a world champion. That's that's the nature of sports. You know, you should. That's why we know about all the Super Bowl winners. That's why you know about all the World Series winners. I was talking to a friend of mine today about the Dodgers, you know, and the team that they have assembled for the last 10 years. Uh, and they they won okay. eight straight eight straight divisional titles. Mm-hmm. Three straight World Series appearances, you know, winning it last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now sign uh, Trevor Bauer to add to their yeah. rotation. Uh, Good God. Talk about a team of riches. I mean, you look at what they have offensively, defensively, pitching staff. Um, there's a reason why they want eight straight. And there's no reason in my mind today that they won't challenge Atlanta five years from now for that streak of – of 13, I believe they yep. had of, of divisional titles in uh, the East for Atlanta. And this is a organization that was built right, has the, the, the right combination of ownership and market to compete under the rules of baseball. Uh, you know, you're not going to see these type of runs in Cleveland or Kansas City or, or uh, Milwaukee. You're going to see two, three, maybe four-year opportunities, and one of them you have to cash in. Sometimes you, you're really competitive for four or five years, but you only have one shot at that brass ring, mm-hmm. and that's the way it works in baseball. You know, it's – but you know how hard it is to get the three World Series in a row? Oh. Even on a shortened series like last year where it was only 60-game regular season and then make the extended playoff run to get to the World Series and win it? against a Tampa Bay team. And that Tampa Bay organization, phenomenal organization. They run no talent. They bring in players. They they have they they play for the peak and then hope for the, they can make the right plays to stay competitive. But they'll go back down and they'll rebuild here in the next two years. And you even see them rebuilt this year when they traded the best pitcher away. Uh, so, you know, that's just the nature of baseball, you know. And the Indians, you know, we'll see what happens. They have the pitching staff. They really do. Uh, they're just going to need some timely, you know, offense to come through for the first time in years. And uh, that was the problem the last few years is they were very one-sided. If they didn't hit a home run, they weren't scoring. Uh, now we're going to have some new players in the in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Baseball has become a home run game. We'll see what happens. But, you know, going back to the original story, I mean, what the Dodgers have done is phenomenal. And, I mean, that's a dynasty. And, uh, maybe the least talked about dynasty in, in, in sports right now, uh, what they what they have achieved. Much as we want to celebrate Tom Brady and what he did with Tampa this year or what LeBron James did in Los Angeles with the Lakers, uh, what the Dodgers have done as an organization and how they continue to just get better. I mean, they get, they get Mookie Betts last year. They get Trevor Brower this year. Mm-hmm. I mean <laughs> – talk about riches and and the thing that i like about the dodgers and now they have a a payroll and they have financial flexibility that teams like the indians and the pirates and the rays and the a's will never have correct but what i like about the dodgers is a lot of their guys are homegrown tim yes a lot of them bellinger's homegrown kershaw's homegrown walker bueller's homegrown Jose Urias is homegrown. Don't forget about Dustin May, who is your number one prospect, who was pitching in the World Series last year. He's homegrown. You have a lot of guys that are homegrown. Um, and you sprinkle in with trades of, you know, the Mookie Batses and all that. Um, but how's this? David Price 
is your fifth pitcher in that rotation. <laughs> he's your fifth pitcher in that rotation. Now, granted, he's older, but he's still a Cy Young Award winner who's pitched in World Series before. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And uh, and now they have flexibility to where they can move some of these prospects to get reloaded more prospects to when they do have to lose some guys to free agency. Uh, I mean, right now, Tim, you could trade Dustin May if you want to and get an absolute haul for him. Yeah. And that's the key. The key is, is know when to sell a ball player to get maximum return when it's necessary and when to invest in a player and, you know, hopefully put yourselves in situations to be successful. That goes across all sports. But, you know, I was reading an article earlier today, uh, Keith Law put out, talking about, you know, Major League Baseball's farm teams and the best farm teams. And his number one farm team is not a surprise. It's the Tampa Bay Rays. Yes. But guess who's number, number two? We are. Yeah, the Indians. We Cleveland's are. Number yep. two. Yeah. But that's the key. I mean, Toronto's three. I mean, this is not Miami Marlins are four. I mean, this is what we're talking about. You know, this is how you build a team. And, you know, the Minnesota Twins, you know, probably the favorites in our division this year. They have the eighth straight, you know, strongest uh, farm system. The Dodgers who won the World Series in the top ten. I mean, that's phenomenal. And then, you know, you look, this is what, what we talk about where you struggle is you look like, like the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're 16. You know, that's right in the middle. Yeah, that's average. You, you can't be there. You, can't you cannot there. compete. If you're no. a small market team, you can't be there. You have to be in the top 10. And you look at the, t- the top 10 there and just. Where's Oakland have at? Oakland. Let me find out here real quick. I'd be shocked if they're not in the top 10. They've had a lot of players come up recently. That kind of also part of your your ranking. So you you lose ranking because of that. Yeah, because they have Olsen and Chapman and, and all of them have come right. up. You're right. It's just luck on that level. But, yeah, they're actually ranked 29th right now. What's Toronto? Toronto's uh, five. That's, that's not surprising at all. They yeah, are loaded. They're in the top five. They're in the top five. Loaded. Uh, Tampa is actually, or Toronto's actually three. The Marlins were four. The Diamondbacks were five. The, the Marlins farm system's good. I know they've, uh, Jeter's done a good yeah. job with that. But we talked about this during the season. Atlanta's six. These are the same teams we've talked about possible yep. trades with. And, mm-hmm. and the San Diego Padres are seventh. The Twins, eighth. The Giants are ninth. And the Dodgers are 10th. So two big markets there in the top 10 in, the, in San Francisco the Dodgers in Los Angeles, then that tells you just, you know, the organizational strength. Uh, that's why you can make the trades that they make. That's why they can go out and get a Mookie Betts. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, then uh, you can win a World Series and sign a, uh, a Trevor Bauer. Uh, that's why you can do the things, you know, you're doing it properly. You're doing it uh, the, the correct way is the easiest mm-hmm. way to say it. But that's baseball today. I mean, you have to make those choices. And, I, and that's why I, I actually feel good about where Cleveland's at. I think Cleveland, on a downturn in a sense, but I don't think it's a, it's a steep downturn that everyone no. thinks. It's, gonna, it's not like I, it, what, it would have been It's not going to be a complete rebuild. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, of let's see what we have and mm-hmm. make make adjustments. Yeah. Because the pitching, the pitching has come up and through. And there's still a few more pitchers on the way. So we know the depth in the pitching staff is there for the end. The, pro, the, the interesting thing is, because you basically redid your entire pitching staff in the last two years. Yeah. Your, your starting rotation is completely new. Uh, you go back two years ago, uh, you know, you had a fifth starter who's, number, who's now your ace. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and Shane Beaver. Obviously, we talked about this last week, you know, the hole at first base, you know, the hole in the outfield. They, you know, they signed Rosario. So, we'll see what, you know, how. I think it's a, it's a quality signing for the Indians for a one-year deal. We'll see how, you know, that's the problem with the Indians is they're always on the cheap, uh, meaning they never sign multi-year deals with players and, and try to keep them longer. And I get that because they don't want to be committed. Mm-hmm. And there's enough players out there. You could probably find something similar for that price range. 
But I'll say this again, long-term for the Indians organization, and may never happen under their current ownership, is that sooner or later you have to pick a player and make the identity of the team around that player. Yep. Uh, Carl Carrasco was kind of that player on the off, on the, on the pitching staff, but you just traded him away. You traded Lindor, who obviously you can never keep for the, for the money that is going to be available to him. But the question is, can you keep Ramirez long-term? You know, he has like two or three years left on his contract. Is it worth signing him to another contract two years from now? Eh, maybe not, but we'll have to wait and see. But sooner or later, you know, I think fans always want to have one player they can identify with. Yes, you're right. And you look at Minnesota, they've been very good about that over their last 20 years. There's always been players that you can identify with them with. Toronto's the same way to a certain level. Obviously, some of the smaller markets, it's a little more difficult. But I still think as you market your team, if you have one player or a couple players that you can, for an organization, for a city, for a a region to identify with, that's a good thing. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was the problem with LeBron James being from Northeast Ohio and Akron, coming to the Cavaliers, spending his first seven seasons with the Cavs. Is the thought was when he came to the Cavs is you'll have him for his entire career, which mm-hmm. was never his desire to play for one organization for 20 years. It actually took him leaving and coming back for them to have the run that they had. And you can see what he's done doing in Los Angeles. It's a different, the NBA is a different animal onto itself, but you're not going to see many players stay in one place like, Kobe Bryant for 20 years, unless you're in Los Angeles, you know, the days of the days of players staying in one with one franchise in any sport are gone because you got trades and free agency and financial and just everything. um, Those days are over. We're not going to see that ever again. Probably not. Probably not. They're going to be few and far between. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we all thought Tom Brady was a Patriot for life, and he left. I we, think we, I think yes and no on that. Um, we do. I think we see this in every sport. Sooner or later, you move on from players. Organization will move on from a player before a player moves on from an organization. Yeah, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the only one who beats them is LeBron James to that punch. That's right. He did it to Cleveland twice. He did it to Miami. They didn't see it coming both times. And, you know, that's just the way it works. Uh, three years from now, will he leave Los Angeles? Well, even if he does, who cares? Uh, him, his career will be. He'll be 40. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're not going to care because he's already cemented his uh, legacy there by winning a championship this past year. And, you know, he may do it again this year. So, yeah, I mean, LeBron James is going to be one of the most interesting long-term sports analysis. Mm-hmm. because he's won championships in so many places. Unlike many, like a Tom Brady who won six with New England, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, you could talk about uh, Magic Johnson and his five with the, uh, with the Lakers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you just, or, or the three that Larry Bird had with the Celtics, you know, you can go on and on and find different uh, talks about, you know, but you're not going to see, how often are you going to see a player who's going to probably have multiple championships in two different places? I mean, I expect the Lakers to win another championship before he's done. Oh, yes. So yes. if you, if with if that expect, more. yeah, let's just hypothetically say he wins it this season. That means he won two in Los Angeles, two in Miami, one in Cleveland, and took Cleveland, the smallest market team, to five yep. championships and four in a row at one point. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we can go on and on and on. I think the point has been made. All right. You know what we're going to do before we get going here, Anthony, uh, before we say goodbye is, uh, the battle of 224 has taken on a unique look as Ooh. Tom Pavlansky has, uh, made the, the move from Lakeview to Poland and uh, the battle of 224 got a lot more interesting, especially when they play in Poland at yes. Pavlansky Phil. Yes, uh, Tom Pavlansky, the longtime coach at Lakeview. You've been there for what, 25 years? Then did he tell us when uh, we 22 covered his seasons. games a couple years? 22 seasons. 22. Um, 
Uh, Tom goes home. He's a Poland graduate. He played football for Poland. Uh, his dad has the field named after him. And uh, week one against his brother, Mike, at Canfield, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the Pavlansky name is anonymous with, with, with uh, a football in the Valley. And those are two really good football coaches. And that game is going to be, you know, in recent years, it's kind of fallen off because Canfield's had the, uh, the upper hands. That is going to be one hell of a football game. Uh, congratulations to Poland. That's a home run hired by Banfield there. That is a, that's a grand slam. Uh, the Poland community is going to love uh, Coach Pavlansky, and uh, it's going to be really interesting week one. It certainly is. It's going to be a lot of really, fun. Really, really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, going to be – you know, but like uh, – I don't know if you caught Coach Pavlansky from Canfield's comments last night. And he said, no, I did know, not. Obviously, you know, he – he said, obviously, it means a lot to our family. The Canfield Poland game is very special because of the family ties and just the uh, the rivalry between the two schools. But he said, every time he plays, he tells his kids and his coaching staff, he said, guys, that field's not going to make a tackle. It's not going to score a touchdown. It's you know, it's just it, it's an honor. You know, the coach speak and everything that he gives. Yeah. Well, um, true. But uh, boy, I tell you what, that is going to be one hell of a game and. Uh, we, I believe, Tim, uh, our opener is going to be that Thursday night also. So uh, I'm going to have to keep my eyes and ears on that Canfield Poland game. And I'll, I'll be giving you guys updates. That's going to be one hell of a game. I imagine it will be the game of the week on television. So I'm, uh, I'm thinking I might simulcast into our broadcast, Tim. And I'll be at the <laughs> Canfield Poland game. And I'll be simulcasting in with Zoom. You never know. You never know. All right. Hey, uh, it, like I said, it's an interesting year, 2021, and we're only, uh, you know, what, seven weeks into it, six weeks into this month. So, or this year, I should say. So uh, crazy, crazy times ahead of us. But uh, definitely congratulations to the Pavlensky family. And uh, like I said, the, uh, the Canfield polling game week one got a lot more interesting than it normally is. And it's usually one of the best games of this really interesting. Of the season. So, uh, yeah, it uh, should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. And uh, we wish uh, Coach Tom Pavlansky the best making the move uh, from Lakeview to Poland. Uh, doesn't really have to change his shirt. Still says Bulldogs on no. it, right? Yeah, yeah. He's still uh, <laughs> royal blue. and uh, he, he was born to be a Bulldog, I guess. It would be interesting now, Tim, uh, who takes over at Lakeview real quick. Former Liberty coach Chet Allen was named the defensive coordinator a couple months ago at Lakeview. That might be a name to keep an eye on out there. Um, but, yeah, just a, a congratulations to uh, Tom Pavlansky and the couple games that we covered at Lakeview. Uh, he was always really tremendous with us. Uh, hopefully, you and I get to cover a couple of Poland games and maybe even a Cantor Poland now. If it's all possible, we will be there. There's no question about it. I don't know if there's anything else to talk about, Anthony. Obviously, YSU football, we talked about that in our – other podcasts, so let's mm-hmm. give that a, uh, a quick thing. Stay tuned. The YSU uh, Ice Castle Report will be returning here to Radio MVP's feed here uh, this week. Uh, you'll get this podcast first, and then at the beginning of the week, you will get the brand new season three of the Ice Castle Report. Yes, uh, Tim and I recorded uh, the season preview, a quick season preview of the eight-game conference-only schedule a little bit ago uh, we'll be back next week to preview uh the penguin season opener it feels weird to say that in february but i'll take it against the defending number one ranked bison of north dakota state i'll make sure i say it correctly the bison not the bison yeah, so, the uh, yes uh doug Phillips will begin his penguins tenure uh on the road at north dakota state and uh, tim and i'll be back each and every week before uh, our main podcast here to break down the Penguins' most recent game. I can't wait. Quinn Nation, we're ready to fly. That's right. Uh, the Mighty Penguins are back. And uh, like I said, it's going to be a unique year in 2021 as we have spring football to look forward to. And uh, then right into uh, summer months. And then we're right back at it uh, come August. So if you're a football fan, a lot of football still coming your way. It didn't end last Sunday with the Super Bowl like it normally does. And this year, it continues uh, with YSU football 
and uh, Division Three and Division Two football for those uh, uh, schools too. So it's gonna be an interesting time to say the least. It will be uh, the debut of uh, Doug Phillips. So let's hope for the best for Gwyns and uh, let's go Gwyn Nation. Let's get a W to start the season. Let's shock the world. Yeah, no better place to do that than uh, North Dakota. That's right. That's right. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, be celebrating a big win in 10 days. Sounds like a plan. All right, Anthony, final thoughts? We're 10 days away from football. That's all <laughs> I can say. It's uh, And we are, well, less than 16 days until I'm back inside the ice castle, Tim. And I made that comment with you in August how excited I would be the next time I get to be there 16 days, two weeks. We're almost there. Let's get there. 10 days to the football kickoff till then we will be back more with radio MVP. I do want to throw a quick shout out to uh, the, the AFL uh, as I continue the AFLW. I, the Collingwood magpies are two and oh on the season. As the uh, ladies have a, a big chore uh, this weekend to try to go to three and zero, but we're gonna we're gonna get it done. And uh, and real quick news, we mentioned it last week. I uh, briefly there was the do better report that came out from uh, the AFL uh, Magpies that did it to themselves. Systematic racism charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, good news on the on that front is Eddie McGuire, who was the president of the club, has resigned. Uh, officially earlier this week and uh, they have a chance to start anew by looking at their own past and moving forward and and hopefully a, a brighter future and uh, a more uh, accepting uh, future for all so, uh, as a uh, very short-term magpie fan I'm, i will say this uh, i'm glad to see eddie mcguire gone hopefully it's a step in the right direction for that organization going all right for anthony and Canfield. I am Tim here in Borman. Wish you all a great week. We'll talk to you soon right here on Radio MVP.